My name is Ben Greenfield, and on this episode of the Ben Greenfield Life Podcast. That was the first thing that woke me up as a dentist, that I just realized that it's incentivized disease care. It's not healthcare. Let's stop calling it healthcare. It's disease care. So to get the conditions right in the body, it really boils down to the gut and the gut, the gap junctions, okay? And the leaky mouth, leaky brain, leaky gut, leaky sinuses, leaky tonsils, leaky teeth, okay? So it's leaky everything. Faith, family, fitness, health, performance, nutrition, longevity, ancestral living, biohacking, and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. All right, it's time for you to start hacking your sleep. And a big part of that is choosing the right equipment for your desired outcomes. That's where this company called Essentia comes in. It's an organic mattress that's the only mattress to score best in class on eliminating all sleep-interrupting stimulants. They have a patented Beyond Latex organic foam technology, so you get these deep and REM sleep cycles that are unparalleled, allowing you to wake up being recharged and ready for anything life's going to throw at you. They make these things in certified organic factories packed with technology that allows you to get performance sleep benefits unsurpassed by any other mattress. Tested by Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. These mattresses are allergen-free. They've got these packed technologies that allow you to experience things like active cooling, EMF blocking, accelerated recovery, and really good deep sleep cycles. A lot of pro athletes are sleeping on these things now just because sleep is so important to pro athletes, but it should be important to anybody who's concerned about central nervous system repair and recovery. Now, they've even tested through something called dark film microscopy, the fact that these Essentia mattresses reduce the amount of blood clotting that can occur in reaction to EMFs. So they built in an EMF barrier foam that allows the blood cells to be in their natural free flowing state and allows oxygen to flow throughout the body naturally, which improves your body's nighttime recovery cycles and massively improves your sleep quality. So what Essentia is doing is they're going to give you a hundred bucks off your mattress purchase if you go to myessentia.com slash Ben Greenfield and use code Ben VIP, that's myessentia.com slash Ben Greenfield and use code Ben VIP. Hey, so you've probably heard of the, uh, the Haya multivitamin, H-I-Y-A. If you haven't heard of this stuff, it's taken the kids multivitamin industry by storm because people are finally waking up to the fact that typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They got two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, a bunch of other gummy junk that growing kids should never eat. And that's why they created Haya, which is a pediatrician approved, super powered, chewable multivitamin, H-I-Y-A. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, but it tastes great. Perfect for picky eaters. They got vitamin D and B12, C, zinc, folate, everything your kid needs for immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. But it's clean. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free. It's a great multivitamin. And I've worked out a special deal with Haya to give you 50% off. So to claim this deal, you go to HayaHealth.com slash Ben, H-I-Y-A Health.com slash Ben. This deal is not available on their regular website, H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H, HayaHealth.com slash Ben, and you can get your kids the full body nourishment that they need to grow into healthy adults. One of the biggest predictors 
of how long you live and how good you feel while living is your metabolic health. Metabolic health can be difficult to measure, but the single best way to measure how your daily decisions are impacting your metabolic health is indeed by tracking your blood glucose. Monitoring my blood glucose is one of the most important things I do to maintain peak vitality and longevity. I can find out everything. How does ice cream affect my blood glucose? Cold, an argument, an email, you name it. Poor blood glucose control is associated with short-term outcomes like daily energy levels, weight management, and even sexual function. But then there's chronic conditions like diabetes and heart disease and Alzheimer's, all of which are related to blood sugar levels. So that's where this company called Levels comes in. Levels has an app that interprets your blood glucose data provides you a simple score after you eat a meal, allows you to see how different foods affect you, and then gives you this personalized diet that's right for you. Obviously, you don't need me standing beside you or Levels to tell you that stick of cotton candy that you're eating at the fair is going to spike your blood glucose. But maybe you don't know what the difference between, say, like eating or not eating before you do a sauna session would create. Or say, you know, lifting weights at the gym and having whey protein versus rice protein. You know, there's all sorts of little things you don't think about that you can really dig into with this Levels app. So go to levels.link slash Ben and they're going to give you two free months of the Levels measurement when you use my link. Levels.link forward slash Ben. Well, folks, I am backstage right now with my friend, Dr. John Lawrence, after having just recorded a big Q&A panel at the end of a fantastic day, the Elements event. Amazing. What do we have, John? Air, light, fire, water, earth, fire, all the elements. We were doing PMF and ozone and grounding and earthing and sound therapy and IVs and methylene blue and you name it. But at the end of the day, we did a really fantastic Q&A in which we got into all the fringe corners of biological dentistry, methylene blue protocols, melatonin protocols, circadian rhythm and lighting. It was a pretty good. Yeah, and we, good. Had a, we had a biological dentist, one of the originals yeah. that's been practicing yeah. for like 30 years. That cat was amazing. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. So anyways, the reason I'm telling you all this is that is what you are about to hear. Now, I'm going to create show notes for you guys, which you can find at bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash elements panel. That's bengreenfieldlife.com forward slash what, John? Panel. Elements panel, baby. bengreenfieldlife.com slash <laughs> elements panel. It's okay. We've had a long day, folks. So anyways, go there. You'll be able to access the show notes. You can leave your questions, your comments, your feedback, and access any and all of the resources that John and I talk about. I usually don't really record an intro with my guests, but John, you walked in at the right time. Yeah, so here we are. We all did right. it. We did it. So Ben Are you going to for us again? I, did I sing at the end of our other podcast? Yeah. Oh, what, name, name it. Give Amazing me a request. Grace. Didn't I sing that last time? <laughs> All right. Amazing <laughs> grace, how sweet the sound. That started to go downhill fast. Well, folks, <laughs> that's John Lawrence and me, and we will not start a band, but... We are putting out a good podcast for you. So I hope you enjoy this one. Here we go. So I'm going to point the first question at uh, Dr. John. And it, the question is this. How uh, are V-cells administered for the hearing loss treatment? And then it says direct injection question or IV infusion question. Yeah. So V-cell stands for very small embryonic-like stem cell. And it's something that I think is probably one of the best forms of stem cell therapy. They discovered that you have all of these tiny stem cells that are pluripotent, meaning that they can turn into virtually any 
type of cell. And they're, they're small enough where they can go everywhere. So they can go through the blood-brain barrier and they can literally go wherever you want them to go. So they're trapped in your blood, right? Really interesting kind of uh, point that I bring out in the recent book that I released, It's All in Your Head. It's mostly on endonasal, but I get into some concepts of meditation because Joe Dispenza is doing some research on why these meditators are having these spontaneous healings. They, there seems to be this um, activation in some sort of life force where people um, have a, a short-term healing and then more long-term. So people, they, their tumors will melt away or you have people in wheelchairs with strokes that get up and start a walk. So they've looked at the blood and they found that there's just tons of these tiny little particles. And so their initial um, ideas with that is that they're exosomes. And so the way stem cells work is that when a stem cell is homed into an area, so when we have an injury, it attracts, it like sends out like a beacon for the stem cell to migrate to the area. And then once it gets there, it has a stickiness and it attaches there. And then it starts to shower these exosomes, which then shower the existing cells and tissues, which then go into like a youthful repair phase. And that's really how it works. It's not as much as what, like what we thought where the stem cell then starts to turn into different cell lineages. That does happen, but it's more through the exosomes. So they're kind of thinking more that it's this exosome effect. And um, once I started to, uh, I met Todd, Todd Okovides out in um, Carlsbad, who's really pioneered the use with this laser that's like, it's like a zero point laser. Um, they call it scalar, but it's, it's very uh, unique in the, in the way that it works. And so the laser, we pull the patient's blood, we, we spin it down in a certain way, and then we activate that blood, which liberates and grows all of these V cells. So it's from your body, it's completely safe, and we can run it as an IV, and then we can take that same laser and use right angles to basically home them into specific areas of the body, the ear, different parts of the brain, pituitary, the thyroid, adrenals. We did a whole protocol on Ben. So this question is kind of asking, like, how do we use the V-cell with the inner ear? My answer would be both. I had to kind of give you the background so you kind of understood exactly the context by it. But um, so we, we directly injected, it's called a trans tympanic injection, which is kind of a typical injection that an E and T would do for like a steroid for a kid. Um, very common. So it's an injection like that. And then we take the laser, activate it and home it in after an IV. Yeah, thank you for that. And do any of the other panelists have anything you want to add on to that? I'll, I'll throw in a quick clarification. I actually had somebody super concerned reach out to me when we were doing the Instagram video yesterday of the, the V cells that these were embryos that had somehow been killed, human embryos, but it's very small embryonic like stem cells. So first of all, I'm concerned about the ethical nature of these. They're not harvested from embryos. Uh, and second, John's actually lying about the exosomes. They're actually government nanobots. <laughs> <laughs> I also wear a tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll repeat questions that are asked in the audience because we are recording this. The question is, what is the source of the stem cells? It's human-derived tissue. Uh, John, do you want to expound? Well, the... the um, exosomes that are typically used in doctor's offices are, um, they take placenta and they, they stress them in a way that they, the stem cells in the placenta kind of butt off 
and shower the exosomes into like a sterile, like saline solution. And then they, they, they use those. The V cells, like I said, they're basically, it's a blood draw. So it's be no different than if you got PRP. So a lot of people by now are familiar with platelet rich plasma. It's a blood draw, it's spun down, and then it's activated with this specific laser. That's so it. if you were to do a V-cell procedure, the first thing that's going to happen is you'll give a bunch of blood, and then that blood is treated to activate the V-cells, and then they go wherever it is that you want them to go. All right, so the next, next question we have here is, does eye protection need to be worn when using near-infrared light? And I'm going to direct that down to Ben, if I can, and then we can follow up. I'm certainly no, no expert on infrared light and the interaction with the eye, but I do know that about 600 to 800 nanometers is actually something that can be good for myopia, can be good for retina. And I think that the fact that a lot of these manufacturers are covering their butts by sending out like the little tanning glasses with the red light devices has kind of like spread this rumor that you got to be careful with them. But it's, it's a lot different than the concentrated lasers like the FDA, uh, what are they, class two medical devices that John might use here in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Like the home light panels, you know, infrared light panels, stuff like the juve, things along those lines. You don't need to wear eye protection. I suppose I should probably have a have a little asterisk disclaimer reducing any type of yeah. litigious action. But uh, but yeah, I, I I never use eye protection unless it's like an actual concentrated laser in a medical facility. Yeah, you know when we do the V cell and we 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 do our protocol, especially if we're doing like brain, we go right into the eye. You remember when we did yours? Yeah, you stare, you stare right at the laser that goes in the eye. And it's really amazing uh, the response that we've had with patients with vision. Yeah, you feel your brain just just turn on. I mean, mm -hmm. similar. Who used the V light today? The infrared light for the head, and then it, no. it also has a, a nasal probe. And that thing, you, you very very similar. You can feel that photobiomodulation coming straight into the neural tissue through the nose and, and on top of the head. And that company, by the way, they have uh, a newer device called a Duo where you put on you put on the cap but then they've got a second device that attaches to the back of the head to do the vagus nerve and then a second probe goes in the other nostrils you got a not you got a probe in both nostrils the light on the back of the head and then they also ship it out with a gut device so you can literally do like a full body treatment with the view at home now mm -hmm. which is pretty cool slash according to my my wife and children makes me very hard to snuggle with in the mornings <laughs> any other comments I would just add that in general, the LEDs seem to be very safe for eye consumption. I would also say that there's one of the major laser manufacturers, they're working on treatment for glaucoma right now using laser, actual laser directly into eyes. So I think the jury's still out right now. But like he said, you know, Ben, cover your, sort of cover your butt in the clinic is probably worthwhile. But um, I think we'll see in the next couple of years that, that that stance changes and, you know, we're using it more and more that way. All right. Um, the next question is methylene blue. How much daily cycle on and off question mark in what form question mark capsule question mark. Uh, I'm going to ask John to start with this one, but uh, maybe we can go down the down the line. So uh, methylene blue, the dosage is a half a milligram up to four milligrams uh, per kilogram of body weight. So you know, 80 milligrams is a pretty roundabout number for most people you know, 40 to 80. We, we have the Lumetol blue, which is a square and it's uh, half of that is eight, about 80 milligrams. That's pretty often what I, I recommend to a lot of my patients. 
and that seems to, uh, to be really helpful. You do want to take a break every so often. Um, typically, I'll, I'll recommend people do 10 days on and three days off. You know, there's some variations that you can have within that. I mean, it's not like a set in stone thing, but what happens is the methylene blue has an affinity to the mitochondria. And that's why they use methylene blue for staining like brain tissue, because like the nerves become like super blue. So you can see them in contrast to other tissues. It rushes in that mitochondria. And so if you're taking it every day, there's a buildup that can occur in the mitochondria. And I've, I've hit that threshold myself. And it's kind of like you get a little fatigued, right? And then you take a couple of days off. Then you take the methylene blue and it's like, boom, everything's working again. So it's, it's not like you get into a danger situation like life or death, but you'll, you, it'll begin to start to have an opposite effect. What might be useful, too, is just to ask, you know, give an example of maybe how you've benefited from it. Yeah. Um, well, it has been profoundly helpful for me personally. Um, and I like to do things myself before I start recommending it to my patients. So like all the stuff that you guys have experienced, I've like, you know, delved deeply into and, and find it to be beneficial personally. But with methylene blue, I just feel like I have a lot more focus and attention and and it's from a place of just being happy and and optimistic, you know, so it works kind of like an SSRI in that sense. And the reason that it helps mood is that it kind of mops up nitric oxide. And they've done studies where they found that people that have depression, if they raise their nitric oxide, the depression and the mood gets worse, right? If they lower the nitric oxide, it's like completely related, right? So nitric oxide and like for a lot of people working out, I'm not opposed to it. I think it can be beneficial to cycle it, but I don't think that it's something that you should take every day, all day, you know, because it has a lot of negative consequences to it. Yeah, excess nitric oxide could certainly cause a little bit of like an excess free radical response. A couple of the thoughts about methylene blue, and John, don't kill me for saying this, but it is, you know, it's like a fish tank cleaner, right? It's, it's kind of like ozone, right? These are cleaning agents to a certain extent. And so I think that overuse, you know, people who are doing, you know, frequent, let's say like uh, rectal insufflation of ozone, which I know everybody in here does every day, um, or, or regular oral use of methylene blue or rectal use of methylene blue, I think you could reach a point where you can actually kind of like clean out the biome too much. Right. Almost essentially create a situation which you might not have enough good bacteria. That's theoretical. But because of that, I'm a little bit careful with excessive use of ozone, excessive use of methylene blue, kind of like this whole healthy hygiene hypothesis. The idea that exposing a child to a wide variety of fermented foods and farm animals and things like that help to build up dirt and bacteria and, and gunk in the body that renders the immune system stronger. I, I think you, you should be a little bit careful with excess you know, cleaning agents in the body. But like John mentioned, it is fantastic, especially when combined with photobiomodulation as kind of like a, the ultimate smart drug combo. The, the other thing you should be aware of is that when we're talking about things that interact with light in a favorable manner, I, I don't recall the book on melanin, but there are certain melanin precursors that also work really, really well when combined with infrared light or sunlight that could also be combined with methylene blue, uh, namely uh, shilajit and chlorella, like the dark greens, the dark blacks of the plant kingdom, along with the dark blues, seem to interact really, really well with red light. And you know, I, I think that we'll probably see over the next decade a lot more research done on this concept of photobiomodulation 
what to stack with it. And then the very last thing is, is John did mention that the methylene blue can act a little bit like an SSRI. So if you're using other SSR-like compounds, you could risk excess flooding of the cell receptor with, with serotonin in the cleft. So you would want to be careful with what you combine it with, especially if you're on some type of SSRI-based medication. Just make sure that you, you don't take the methylene blue simultaneous to that. All right. Any, anything else? Uh, I would just say I use methylene blue more as needed. So if I have a lot of writing to do, if I have a lot of studying to do, I love it as a, you know, sort of a focus and concentration piece like that. So I don't tend, you know, I might take it for five days or 10 days sequentially, and then I might not take it for two weeks or three weeks. That's just my own personal use. Uh, I definitely cycled it more like what John's saying with certain patients, especially, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction. And we're, we're trying to run the machinery of the mitochondria in various ways. So we might do some methylene blue red light cycles, then we might do some hyperbaric oxygen and hydrogen cycles. So, you know, we're running different systems in that mitochondria purposefully, and we take breaks between different pieces of that so that we're not running any one of them sort of into the ground too much. And then I think over time, to some extent, like let's say high dose blue too much, you, you don't want to clear that out periodically. But also there's pieces of this like with oxidation factors, the body gets more resilient, right? The whole hormetic effect. So there's a balance between pushing the envelope too far where you're starting to clean things out too much and starting to over oxidize and break things down. But if you reel that back a little bit and you just get enough of that stimulation, where at the end of the day, now the body starts upregulating superoxide dismutase, the body starts upregulating glutathione and catalase, all those natural antioxidants, it makes us more resilient to all the other stuff in the world that we have less control over. So I think it's, it's like anything else, it's just a delicate balance. Everybody's going to be a little bit different that way. And it's important to spend the time to figure that out with each person. The question is, what sort of cycle length are we talking about when we're talking about a course of methylene glue? Well, um, if you get sick, you feel like you're coming down with something, um, that could be a good time to even possibly take significantly more than what we mentioned. You know, as I mentioned, you know, you can even go higher than four milligrams per kilogram. But if you had cyanide poisoning, you went to the hospital, they would run an IV with exactly that dosage. We've, we've done IVs with even higher amounts of that. So the safety is actually higher uh, than that. There, there are certain procedures uh, such as a thymectomy, and they give intravenous uh, methylene blue at, you know, 1,000 plus milligrams. And this is where the whole controversy with SSRIs came about because there was five cases that had these massive doses of methylene blue, and they, they died from serotonin storm. So although I appreciate Ben's comment because it's probably a safe comment to make, uh, but there's a little controversy with it, the Mayo actually came out and retracted that, that concern about SSRIs with methylene blue, except for just with this surgery. And the whole, the whole country, Canada, does, did as well. So it may not be as much of an issue as, as it was thought. The question is, what is the dosage being used in the IV versus the rectal form? I realize you can hear them, but for recording. All Thank you, Ben. Well, so we go up to as high as 500 milligrams, you know, between three and 500 milligrams with some of our IVs. Um, we do a slow IV. We like to prime that with uh, silver. Both silver and gold have been shown in the research to greatly enhance the photodynamic aspect of methylene blue. And silver just by itself, anti-inflammatory, uh, it's very antimicrobial. So a lot of the patients that we see are sick. 
Um, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen that have been really, really ill with the current virus. And just while the IV is running, you know, they're like, what the heck's in this stuff? You know, so it can be quite dramatic. And it's, you know, it's sad to me because this stuff should be at the hospitals. Like what we do here, IV ozone. I mean, these things have been around for so long. There's so much research backing them up. And it's, it's just, it's just bizarre to me. Pros and cons of a trochee versus a capsule versus other delivery methods of methylene blue. What do you think, John? Well, you know, the IV obviously is definitely getting in there. Um, uh, the suppository is nice because it's a slow release. Uh, so there's some benefits of that. The um, oral delivery really works great. In fact, when it's mixed with stomach acid, it enhances absorption. So um, if you don't want your mouth to get blue, you know, you want to take something that can get, you know, into your throat and down your mouth. The, the, the sublingual, um, those don't seem to have the, the absorption. This is according to some of the experts, you know, when they're asked all the delivery forms, seems to be orals the, the recommended. Ten, How many days on and off? For the I would world? recommend 10 days on and three days off as a rule of thumb. All right. Let me, uh, let me go to the next question here. From a physical medicine and rehab perspective, what are the top three devices for acute, acute care, pain relief, and subsequent healing? And I think I'd like to go to Alan first since uh, we've underutilized you here, my friend. You know, I, I think I'm I'm going to defer that question to somebody oh, else. <laughs> so the, the top three modalities for pain relief mm -hmm. and healing. Okay, should we just rapid fire each, each of our each of our top three? Yeah, I, I'll I'll go with things that that I personally would use at home for injury, for inflammation, or, or for relatively rapid pain relief. Uh, let, let's say things that wouldn't fall under the category of like supplements or medications, you know, because obviously there's everything from, you know, opioid mimics like kratom to tumorosaccharides, curcumin, all sorts of things you, you can take orally. But I would say as far as modalities to have around the house, I think that pulsed electromagnetic field therapy is fantastic, especially if it's at a, at a high enough power. I realize it's expensive, but I own one of those pulse centers, PEMF tables that has the ability to attach coils and pads into it. And that, that thing is just like lifeblood for me when it comes to management of injuries and little aches and pains. So that's one that I use probably every day. The second would be cold therapy, cold soaks, cryotherapy, or anything involving cold. It just seems to do a really, really good job, not only with pain management, but also some of the nervous system resilience that allows you to kind of like manage your pain a little bit better. And then one that kind of flies under the radar, there's a light sound stimulation machine called the Brain Tap. And the Brain Tap has like 800 different recipes and sessions on it, but there's one section if you were to own it and scroll through the library within the app called Pain Management, and it literally teaches you how to use your brain as its own painkilling pharmacy. I, I kind of scoffed at this the first time I heard it, and then I went through the sessions and it teaches you some really cool breathing tactics and almost like a little bit of self-hypnosis to manage pain. And that one, uh, because it's such a versatile tool, I, I think it's a, it's a really good unit to own anyways. Has anybody ever used the brain tap before? Yeah, it's, and it combines well with a lot of the modalities here like hyperbaric and sound therapy and all sorts of things. So anyways, I would say PMF, ice, and the uh, brain tap. So Alan, if I were to ask you if you sprained your knee and what would you do at home? The top three things. 
the temperature cycling, I would mm. probably start there, like hot, cold uh, would make sense. Um, I, I really like the idea of um, that the area needs to be agitated, so uh, be helpful to introduce a kind of vibrational patterns into the area, I think, and kind of application of energy. So I could imagine um, like photonic therapy being helpful there and vibrational therapy, uh, mechanical vibration, uh, hot and cold, I think, and then kind of gently be stretching it and relaxing it. Jason? I would say for pain, I would separate those categories. So I would say for pain, I would look at PEMF, cryo or cold of some kind, and then mechanoreceptor stimulation, you know, block, helping to block the actual pain messages. For regeneration, I think I would say, um, to me, that's an energy production issue, right? So the, the two things that sap, so salamanders, I love salamanders, right? I'm sure you guys do. <laughs> so, so salamanders have two things that they do better than we do. The first is they mobilize stem cells way better than we can. Actually, there's three things. They lower inflammation better than we can. And they upregulate their oxygen better than we can. They actually have algae that grow on them. And algae are photosynthetic, so they create oxygen. So the algae migrates to the area of injury and produces oxygen in the area while they're upregulating stem cells and reducing inflammation. So um, I would look at that and say, Clearly, that's a regenerative model we should try to mimic. So oxygen. So for me, that would be hyperbaric, obviously. I might be partial to that. Uh, <laughs> red light therapy from a you know mitochondrial cytochrome C, all the good things that that would do for us. And then I would just look for other mitochondrial, so either methylene blue or hydrogen, things that help generate the energy concentration required for massive ATP production, energy production. Seems like there's two ways to answer this for me. There's one like what I what would I do in the clinic that might be difficult for people to do at home because I've got access to really expensive equipment, um, and then something I could do at home. So I would just go to John's office. I'm <laughs> <Come> here. <laughs> um, if I was at home, I would say cold would be number one, and I have a um, a cold plunge. So if you don't have a cold plunge, you get one, even if you get like a freezer and turn it on the side. It's something I use every day and I absolutely love it. So if I have pain and I want to get rid of pain, cold therapy, 20 minutes on, 20 minutes off. If you alternate that with heat, it can really help flush the area. And then um, like one of these photons would probably be my top choice as far as like um, a light, uh, but it's very healing. You could do ice and then apply the, uh, the photon to it. I think that would be a really good system. And then melatonin, you know, because that's when your body's going to really repair itself. That'll address the mitochondrial issue. We uh, prefer that uh, as a suppository. Uh, that's the best delivery. It delivers slowly throughout the night. It's a Sandman. And if I were to come to the clinic, I would probably say laser, like a class four laser treatment. And then the, uh, the sound wave device that we talked about, the soft wave device. Then I would probably say some probably chiropractic adjustment or some sort of manipulation to the area um, if that was um, indicated. I have a few more thoughts real quick. I recently had like a, a toe inflammation and to manage pain at night, I literally just use those lidocaine patches. So that's another one that flies on the radar is literally just like a lidocaine patch. You can, you can slap on a painful area if you need to sleep without having to, to take a pharmaceutical. 
And then this is an old school tactic I learned from a doctor. He used to work a bunch of Tour de France cyclists. I learned it like 10 years ago. I kind of, kind of forgot to mention it in my earlier response, but I used to use it all the time when I was racing Ironman. And I still use it if I get some kind of like chronic repetitive motion injury. And uh, stuff that I talk about in my book, it's like three steps. A, you apply a, a transdermal anti-inflammatory topical. Like uh, I like magnesium lotion. CBD lotion would be another example or a tromiel would be another example. Then you slap electrodes on top of that. I think one of the better devices out there is called the Mark Pro. It's like a home device that'll do transcutaneous nerve stimulation, then also electrical muscle stimulation. And then you wrap that with ice. So it's basically transdermal plus the electrodes plus the ice. And the way that works is the electrodes help you drive the, the transdermal deeper into the tissue. And then the ice allows you to jack up the intensity of the electrical stimulation a little bit higher. And that, that done a few times a day, like for me, when I get an injury, seems to work really, really well. And the only thing I'd throw in there is if you do have access to like injectable BPC-157 or TB-500 as peptides, you can do that beforehand as well. And I realize it's a lot of stuff, but as anybody in here who's active knows, like if you're laid up, you have pain, you want to get back in the game fast. Sometimes it's a matter of stacking some of these things and you can just do that while you're eating a salad for lunch or whatever. I'm pretty stoked because this is now something I can do when I'm on the go. And it's based on this idea that the human body being mostly water. But what you probably don't know is everything else in your body is 50% amino acids. That means basically water and amino acids are two of the most important things that you can have in your body. And some amino acids are essential. You have to get them from food, from breaking down steak and chicken and eggs and everything else. But this stuff called Keon Aminos is a plant-based, full essential amino acids profile backed by over 20 years of clinical research with the highest quality ingredients, no fillers, no junk, rigorous quality testing, tastes amazing with all natural flavors. I got on the amino acids bandwagon way back when I was racing Ironman Triathlon. Started with branch chain amino acids, realized those were a waste of time, switched over to essential amino acids, and it has been a game changer ever since. Now, what did I mean when I said travel? Well, these Keon aminos, which are the essential amino acids that I take, they have for the watermelon flavor, the lemon lime flavor, the berry flavor, and uh, the mango flavor. They got stick packs now. So you can take them on the go anywhere. I, can, I honestly have like a couple packs in my fanny pack now. I can dump them in water when I'm at a restaurant, have that instead of like a bread, a basket that comes out or a cocktail. They satiate the appetite. They accelerate recovery. They're amazing pre-workout or during a workout. The list goes on and on. Fact is, if you haven't tried essential amino acids, you're missing out. And you can save 20% now on any monthly deliveries and 10% on any one-time purchases. If you go to getkeon.com slash Ben. That's get K-I-O-N.com slash Ben to get my fundamental supplement for fitness. Keon Aminos, get K-I-O-N.com slash Ben. Just imagine a hotel surrounded by nature, vineyards and gardens, this forest classified as a historical garden in a very special country at a hotel located in the oldest demarcated wine region in the world. Imagine this place has a state-of-the-art spa, 2,200 square meters, 10 treatment rooms, an indoor pool with underwater sound and chromotherapy. Imagine a kitchen team that brings to the table not just delicious food at this place, but values environmental sustainability and wellness and local sensitivity and global sensibility. Imagine being able to be bathed in luxury and being able to be local, to buy local, and to eat local. 
not caged off as some fancy tourist, but as a part of the community and a part of the terroir of the region. Well, that's exactly what you experience in Portugal at their Six Senses Luxury Retreat. And I'm going to be there for a special event that you can read up on at bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses. It's called the Boundless Retreat. And at bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses, you can see everything we're doing. Every day starts with a healthy farmhouse breakfast, morning movement session with me. You get access to three different 60-minute spa treatments that you can choose from throughout the day, indoor pool and vitality suites, meditation, sound healing, an alchemy bar with kokodama and yogurts and pickles and sprouts workshops, retreat meals all made from locally sourced organic produce, Q&As and sing-along sessions with me. This is going to be an amazing remarkable once-in-a-lifetime experience. You get four nights full-board accommodation in a deluxe room there at the facility. And this thing, as you can imagine, is going to fill up fast. It's in Portugal at the Six Senses Retreat in Portugal. Again, all the details are at bengreenfieldlife.com slash six senses. And the dates are February 27th through March 3rd, 2023. February 27th through March 3rd, 2023. I hope to see you there. That kind of brings me to some thoughts too. Of CBG can be really good for pain, CBD, but I think CBG is better um, in a full spectrum CBG. So it's kind of, they call it the, the mother of all cannabinoids. And so some of it turns into CBD, but it's activating more of the um, cannabinoid receptors than really any other substance. The other thing, there's a substance that's Chinese herb primarily for pain. It's called Cordalis, Yohinsui, I think. I don't, I don't think we, we sell it like on the site, on the Mitozen site, um, but we do give it to our patients. I have never seen anything work this well for pain. It just, and even, I mean, severe pain, throbbing pain. It's Could you gone. repeat that one more time, John? Cor- Corey Dallas, you and Sui. Corey Dallas, you and Sui? Yeah. Uh, if, if I might I, be getting. If I do put this panel discussion on a podcast, I'll hunt down the spelling and, and put it into the podcast. Yeah. Show notes well, for people. We have it so in a suppository called Solace, right? And if anybody wants, wants we they can just reach out to us or email us. It's and called Solace. Solace, yeah. So when we do regenerative medicine, we give patients the suppository. They can either take it orally or rectally, and it's you know, I mean, you could be just suffering in pain, and like twenty minutes later, you're like. You know, we're, you have that Chinese it, and, and there's no hangover. You take it. There's no, there's no constipation. Wow. It works. But honestly, like, um, like Percocet, you know, and some of those, um, pain medications, you don't really feel good on them and, and they don't really get rid of your pain. They just kind of distract you from it. But the one caveat is that it will make you a little drowsy. So it's more ideal for nighttime, but it's not something that you could take during the day. Do you sell that on the Mitozen website? No, Solace? no. So someone need to call your clinic maybe, to be able to get it. Maybe we ought to get it up there. Yeah, be in, that, I mean, it sounds fascinating. Yeah. I'll raise your hand if that's something you might keep in your medicine cabinet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is the first time I've heard about it. Sounds intriguing. All right, so uh, got another question here, um, and it, it it asks how to activate pathways to balance circadian rhythm. So I I think Alan. Yeah, circa- circadian rhythm is. Uh, triggered primarily by the, um, we, you know, we, because we evolved here on the planet and we're uh, we kind of share, share a lot of DNA expression with other creatures that are, we, we've, uh, we, we've evolved this system that orients us to the day as a consequence of, of sort of first light 
and so there, there's a cycle that is developed. If you look at that cycle, that's a, a 12 hour period, this one. And so the full cycle is 24 hours. There's a whole cascade of hormones that happen with the production of cortisol in the body, everything right down to estrogen and testosterone for males. And, and, uh, and it's ex exactly this, this cycle is exactly the same cycle that is in a fruit tree for photosynthesis. And so that's also an orienting response for the, the tree in terms of how it produces food and everything. And uh, anyway, th these kinds of, of mimics, you know, they are very broad as a consequence of all, all of us, all the living things having uh, uh, evolved here on this planet. So uh, the question was really about the sensory input. It was uh, a question about um, how to drive that circadian rhythm. So, uh, primarily with sunlight, uh, however you can, it's what you call a, uh, uh, an experience that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's emphasized like, like any rhythmic function in the body. If you, if you time additional stimulus to occur at, at the time of specific points in the cycle, you can emphasize and lock it down. So, uh, there was the subject of Agnihotra came up today. Uh, and so this is an Ayurvedic ritual. It's very ancient. It, it involves the burning of cow dung, the ghee on the top of it. You do exactly at sunrise and exactly at sunset. And this is a circadian rhythm synchronizer is what this is. It just, it's a very visceral experience. It, it's multimodal. It's, you have the heat of the fire. You have the flickering of the fire. You have chanting. You, it's about 12 minutes in total. And it's very precise. You do it very precisely at these times of the day. And there's a uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, it's under study right now, UCSB and the psychophysiology department, this particular uh, modality. And there are other traditions too, like yoga traditions, like, like sun salutation might be a good example. Another one of like a, a multimodal a, a kind of process or methodology that's associated with the rising or the setting of the sun. Anyway, that, that's how I think I would, would go about doing it if I was interested, like to really define, clearly identify the circadian rhythm or specify it. Thank you, Alan. Yeah. Any other thoughts from the panel? It's a complicated question because that rhythm is pretty delicate and it is driven hormonally, cortisol, melatonin. I mean, there, there's so many pieces of that. And for the most part, you know, maybe not here because you guys are such perfect human specimens, but out there in the world, you know, sympathetic drive, you know, stress drive is out of control especially now more than ever. And it's been that way for as long as I've been here. So, you know, cortisol is driving that and people, you know, if you start running labs on people and you start looking at their hormone levels or cortisol levels, their pregnenolone levels, you just start understanding how depleted we all are. And, you know, I do believe I a hundred percent agree, you know, like I'm a early to bed, early to rise. I catch sunrises. I love trying to connect that way. I think that that's a, big piece of my attempt at managing my own stress levels and cortisol levels, you know, connecting to the earth, but that also could be like uh, using PEMF to connect to certain rhythms, right? Electrically. So I think there's a couple pieces, you know, reduce your stress <laughs> slash become more resilient, right? You know, the stress is like in this bucket, right? Your bucket is filling up and eventually, you know, most of us are overflowing. So in a lot of ways, we're all looking at like, how do I empty that bucket? How do I remove these stressors? And in some cases, that's very easy to do, but in most cases, it's not. And so sometimes, you know, 16 ounces of, let's just say 16 ounces of stuff in a 16 ounce bucket, that's full. 
right? But are you as healthy as you could possibly be? Because 16 ounces of stuff in a 32 ounce bucket doesn't feel so bad. And so your health and your resilience, your ability to get healthier in spite of the stress that you're all facing, that we're all facing, helps shift how our body starts to respond to those levels of stress, even if we couldn't reduce the actual amount of stress. So I think it's a, like everything else that we're doing, it's a multi-dimensional approach. Get healthier so that you're more resilient. Find the stressors that are easy to address and figure out ways of reducing them. Connect with people who have strategies. Connect to devices that help fill in the void that we can't do because of the life and the world that we live in. And I think eventually you might get a little closer to connecting to that circadian rhythm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I love the um, Agna Horta suggestion. I remember when I first met Alan, uh, we were in Santa Barbara, and we sat there, and I just was blown away. I'm sorry? You burned cow poop together? Well, we were, no, we, we were at a hotel. Um, was it like the Ritz or something there in Santa Barbara? And uh, they were going to send a tech out for that for the chair that you guys um, experienced. And they couldn't find a tech, so they sent, like, the top guy, right, the guy that developed it. And so um, we had just a wonderful conversation. And so, you know, for me, burning the – doing that ritual – would be ideal, right? But let's face it, you know, we have busy lives. So what I started to um, play around with was the photon and putting that on in the room. And I think that that's a good um, compromise, right? Because the, the essence of that is this strong signaling that, hey, it's time to wake up. And then also, hey, the day's winding up, right? And it's time to switch into more of a parasympathetic so your, your cortisol is your stress, right? That wakes you up, it gets you going, it gets, allows you to get things done. At night, melatonin is what cortisol is during the day, what melatonin is to, at night to put us in a parasympathetic state. So you have sympathetic during the day and you want a strong parasympathetic activation, which is darkness. And that's why you don't want a lot of um, bad light in your house. Like I don't use the can lights. You know, I have lamps with red lights in them. I have a red rope light. I think I got you on that deal as well. And we, looks like a, a submarine in my house. And, and it's, it's so calming. And when you start doing this, you start to go to other places. Like you're at a friend's house. You're like, how are you dealing? Like, this is crazy. I'm so activated, right? Um, so I think after the age of 40, I think everybody should really seriously considering supplementing with melatonin, not just for the sleep but for that powerful activation of the parasympathetic nervous system, because we're also um, sympathetically activated. This is one of the primary causes of a lot of diseases right now, because it's a stressor that we just haven't like adapted to, right? I mean, there's, we're just too busy. There's too many toxins. There's our guts aren't healthy. You know, you just go on down the road, EMF, light pollution, the best thing I would recommend is when you wake up, one of the easiest things to do is go out and sun gaze, look at the sun directly, right? And that's going to be a really powerful, and then you can start getting into using the photon um, in the morning, in the afternoon, or at sunset, and that can be really helpful. Maybe supplementing with some melatonin, you know, those would be my suggestions. Yeah, I, I would agree with everything. I was actually going to mention before John did the idea of your light environment and the concept of light pollution. I mean, everybody look up right now and tell me that that looks just like sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, right? Stare at it for a couple of seconds. Go ahead. 
Tell me what, tell me what your retina do. Does it kind of start to jam a little bit? That low level flicker, even if you're not looking at it, you're bathed in that. In many lighting environments, that overhead fluorescent lighting. How many of you in here actually know what lighting is in the cans in your home? Yeah, like a few people, maybe 20%. Right? So basically, you need to go through your house and it needs to be either incandescent, preferably red incandescent in areas of the home where you're sleeping, although uh, Biden, bless his heart, is, is now trying to outlaw all incandescent, I think, start here in a few months. So stock up on your bulbs. The main reason is that they're energy hogs, but I think it's, it's worth the circadian rhythmicity, the trade-off for a little bit extra money you'll spend in your energy bill. Halogen is also really good, as, well. uh, as are some of the newer forms of low flicker OLED lighting, whether that be your computer monitor or like BenQ or ISO, EIZO, or two good brands for computer monitors, apps like Iris on the actual computer itself, and then basically going through all your sleeping areas, preferably master bedroom, master bathroom, kids sleeping areas, etc. Replace everything with a real nice soft red light or amber light. And then in all the other areas of the house, incandescent if you can do it, or halogen or OLED, preferably with no dimmer switches because the dimmer switches kick off a lot of EMF. So a lot of people would be healthier and they would sleep better if they just did a lighting audit of their home. It will take you like one Saturday afternoon to do, right? And then you've got a really good setup for the rest of your life. That's good. So um, one of the questions was about oral hygiene. And uh, John, I'd like to kick that over to you. Yeah. So we talked a lot about that. I mean, it's kind of on and off throughout the, the day. And um, you mentioned about how that how important that was with uh, some of your fillings and root canals. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really such an important part of health and healing. Um, I have uh, this idea of taking care of your doorways, right? So Ganesh is the Hindu lord of doorways or new beginnings. So I call it the Ganesh protocol, right? And so this is um, basically taking care of your nasal, your oral, and your colon, right? These are the three primary doorways that create inflammation in the body. So what happens is you have microbial growth that release something called endotoxins. And these endotoxins are incredibly inflammatory. You know, you could almost point to just about every disease and have some connection with this influx of endotoxins. We don't really talk much about um, sinus hygiene, right? People talk about brushing your teeth and flossing, blah, 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 but who's talking about um, nasal hygiene? So that's why I think, you know, using a neti pot, we, I formulated something called glutostat, um, and we have it where it's uh, in a mist, and um, I recommend a 30-day sinus protocol when I first start working with people, and they'll use this mist four times a day, we actually test people for something called Marcons. We find it on like, you know, 70% of the patients we test. It's a really nasty infection. Probably a lot of you here have it and just don't know, um, but it's hard to get rid of. So you got to do something somewhat intense for 30 days. We have a, the 30-day sinus protocol that we can make available to everybody. Well, in fact, we'll email it to you as a follow-up, and we can also attach it with the podcast. And so... After you do that 30-day sinus protocol, you got to do something to kind of um, do like a daily practice where you do it like once a day, you keep it in your car. And then for oral, um, you know, I'm going to bring uh, a friend up in a second here that can talk a little bit more about it. But what I have is this essential oil blend called Bocazin, and I have people put it in their mouth, move it all around their gums, and then take a toothpick and kind of push it between all of the teeth. 
Um, and then obviously for the gut, you know, you have to look at your uh, microbiome. You know, I think one of the best ways to address that is with the uh, Pro Biozen yogurt recipe. And we'll also make that available to everybody and make sure that that's on the, in the show notes. John, would you come up? John Osberger, he's one of the top um, biological dentists uh, in the country. He's got, he's got a, a 20,000 square foot facility. I thought mine was pretty big at 15,000 and has a similar setup here where they have cooking classes and they have events and anyway. Yeah, chef in a garden, food is our model. Um, yeah, so it's uh, my wife, Allie, and I were from Denver. Uh, we have the Human Universal Health Institute in Denver, Colorado. It's huhinstitute.com. I am biodentist.com. Um, I've been a biological dentist over 30 years now. I became a dentist because of my dad. He was an orthodontist. So I started out as a lab technician, became a dentist, realized that I am nothing but an insurance-driven tooth mechanic. To me, it seemed like earlier in my career that it was all about the repair. It is not about the disease, right? So choose your dentist wisely. So where I'm at right now is I'm training doctors and dentists and healthcare professionals to see the mouth in a way that is in a coherent way with the rest of the body. The question is about oral hygiene. So I'll say this, the one thing about oral hygiene, when you go to the, when you go to the hygienist to get your teeth clean, what I call that is removing the evidence, okay? So if you're having biofilm buildup in your mouth and you're going to get that all scraped off, over and over and over again. And for some of us, it comes back a lot faster than others, right? And that is because the body's going, the body's in an acid state, acid is gonna, acidity, acidemia is gonna have a, is gonna have a calcification effect where if you have tartar buildup on your teeth and what are the other calcification diseases in the body? Cataracts, gallstones, kidney stones, breast cancer, the list goes on. So when I see a patient that's got all of this inflammation in the mouth and all these biofilms, what it's about is really getting the body in harmony with the mouth and getting the conditions right, okay? Because if the conditions aren't right, say that there's whatever is creating inflammation, inflammation is an acid producing event, right? So you're gonna have dental disease if you have inflammation in the body. It becomes this vicious cycle because then if you go to the tooth mechanic, and you get metal in your mouth, you know, you get the dissimilar metals creating the battery effect, okay? Because that's what a, dissimilar metals in a wet acid environment, that's battery, okay? And then you start, we, we had to talk about the root canals. You mentioned this book. So this is a patient of ours on the cover. I'm Tom's, Tom Levy's dentist. I've been working with Tom for about 25 years. I was one of the 12 dentists that did the research on root canals. I used to work for a guy named Hal Huggins. Anyway, long, long story. I got involved in biological dentistry a really, really long time ago because I really felt like I noticed I was harming patients because I would do something routine to one patient and get great results, like a filling. And then I'd do some, the exact same procedure for somebody else and they'd have pain. Okay, so what's the difference? The conditions in the patient's body, right? So that was the first thing that woke me up as a dentist, that I just realized that it's incentivized disease care. It's not healthcare. Let's stop calling it healthcare. It's disease care. So to get the conditions right in the body, it's really boils down to the gut and the gut, the gap junctions, okay? And the leaky mouth, leaky brain, leaky gut, leaky sinuses, leaky tonsils, leaky teeth, okay? So it's leaky everything. We developed a protocol. My wife and I trained in Switzerland. We, find a, we found a private healthcare system in Switzerland where it's all biological medicine. And it's really about getting the biological conditions right in the body while we're doing the process of getting the hostage situation out of the mouth with dead teeth, 
when I became a naturopath, I did my thesis on how to keep teeth alive. Um, and that's a conversation. Uh, a tooth is the only body part that can't swell, right? So the swelling is a tool the body uses, right? Just like pain, just like fever. These are tools, okay? And these need to be upregulated and they need to be steered instead of suppressed, okay? So, so that's why I'm training dentists and doctors right now to really understand what it is we're doing for our patients and then working with doctors that are biologically minded to have a protocol to work with a patient as we go through a septic experience called taking the death out, like pulling root canal teeth and a thing called jawbone cavitations, which is a whole nother conversation about where you get wisdom teeth pulled. It's a stagnation disease that is in the jaw bone. And it's a really, really, really big deal. Okay. And a lot of, if you've had teeth pulled and, and, and not had it properly taken out, like if you had a tooth pulled and they had an open hole, well, that's kind of like a gunshot wound, right? That's a hole in the depth of the, in the bone marrow. So it's really, how, what does the body do? And what can we do as surgeons, as biological dentists, to when we do surgery in jawbones and we go to that level and we get in there and we, we, we're knocking all the biofilm that's out of you know, the gangrene that's down inside the jawbones, how do we protect our patients through this so they don't have, uh, our patients really just don't have pain and very little swelling. And the patients that swell are the ones that we really, that really have more work to do on the excretion pathways and things like that. So to make a long story short, the mouth and the body are intimately connected um, and getting the conditions right means that your mouth just really stays clean, right? So it's really getting, getting to that harmonious place inside your body. So that's a long, long conversation. Ben, you want to chime in a little bit on that? I'm pretty sure he covered it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Although I, uh, I guess the last thing I throw in is that bulk and stuff that John makes. I usually put that in a little bit of coconut oil in the morning, just like swish it all over for about 10 minutes. And then I uh, spit in the trash can, not the sink of the toilet because it clogs stuff up. But that, that's amazing for coconut oil pulling. Yeah, yeah the yeah. oil pulling is really an amazing. It's another Ayurvedic uh, yeah. method. You just take uh, olive yeah. oil is usually yeah. typically what's right. Way easier than burning ghee on top of a cow yeah. <laughs> John, Should we have John back up here to respond John, to the come question? On back about up. Did you hear the question? Bleeding gums in the presence of, of COVID? Post-COVID post post bleeding gums. COVID and, and bleeding gums. Sounds like a fringe question for a dentist. <laughs> leaky gut, leaky gums, leaky teeth, leaky brain, leaky everything, right? Yep. So gap junctions, right? So we got to shore up the microbiome. So we, the microbiome needs to be diverse, okay? And that's why if anybody, if, uh, start going off. Stop, <laughs> stop using alcohol mouthwashes immediately. Pour them down the drain, okay? Everybody needs to use, understand ozone, the molecule. You can really, you know, medical devices for insufflation uh, that you want to get to the bloodstream. But really, you can buy ozone machines for $50, $60, um, and make your own water at home, 70 bucks. So, you know, my patients, this is something they just get. You know, they, they get ozone machines. If I'm their dentist, they have an ozone machine. It's required. Okay? It's not an option. So... Now that's a topical approach in the mouth. You're making water, you're swishing, you're brushing with it and things like that. But ozone is, yeah, ozone such a beautiful molecule. And then when it's done being ozone and delivering its electron, it's oxygen, right? It's back right. to that. So, I mean, when we really think about this, removing, dissolving biofilms and 
from the topical direction, that's a very important thing, but really it's, it's an inside job, just like beauty, just like skin. Your dental health is an inside job, right? So bleeding gums, that's a sign. You know, just like, it's not normal. It's not okay for gums to bleed, right? And, and what's driving the inflammation, you know, I talked about the hostage situation in the mouth. So, you know, you, you have to have the dead teeth removed. They're not okay. We're the only dent, we're the only medical profession that thinks, you know, a taxidermy appointment for your tooth is a good idea to get you out of pain. It's flawed completely, you know, and the opioid epidemic that I think my profession started, quite frankly. When you have a surgical experience through, through, with the protocol and the conditions are right and the microbiome is upregulated, you see, and you go through a septic experience called getting this dead crap out of your mouth, then the, the pain and swelling later is, is much, much less. So anyway, um, I can talk to anybody later about that, um, but it's, you know, bleeding gums, that's a sign. So the question is, um, there's oil pilling, but also what's the principle of using colostrum as a mouth rinse or... Do you have any experience with colostrum? I would say using it topically, I don't have experience with that, but taking it systemically, absolutely. It's because the salivary enzymes activate a lot of the growth factors in colostrum, which makes sense because when a baby mammal is you know, suckling off the, off the teeth, the first thing that, that hits its mouth is a colostrum that helps to seal up the lining of the leaky gut in a young mammal. And so when you're consuming colostrum, this is how I do it is I'll put a scoop of, uh, of the colostrum in my mouth and then just hold it and swish it around for about a minute or so and then swallow. But you can still, like, I'll put it in smoothies too because I make my smoothies super thick, so I'm kind of, like, working them around in my mouth anyways. You're not wasting it if you put it in a smoothie. Just the idea is don't, like, just, like, put it in water and chug it down. Like, it's got to kind of hit the mouth to, to be fully activated. The final uh, written question is on melatonin and uh, how much should be taken daily in what form and... Uh, is there a, uh, an optimal cycle between taking it and not taking it? So I'll start with those. Yeah, there's as a lot many of... as you can fit into your butt at one time. Yeah. Because John's How many did you get up to when a you lot. 10 was the last I heard? Yeah, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we don't go there. Go ahead, John. <laughs> so um, rectal delivery of melatonin, I think, is the best time release, right? So there's a lot of time release products you can take, but they're tiny dosages which I don't really find uh, the best route as well. So higher dosage, um, I was uh, exposed to the work of Russell Ryder, who's an MD and a PhD. And he himself uh, at 89 years old, I think, was taking 100 to 200 milligrams every night. And I watched a YouTube video. And then shortly after I went to Frank Schallenberger's clinic and did an internship with him. And he's pre prescribing 200 milligrams, sometimes 200 during the day, 200 at night having people take it day and night, cancer, a lot of degenerative neurologic disease. And he recommended me do that because I was still kind of after my Lyme and my uh, mold. I had a lot of word finding. My brain just wasn't working. And so um, he recommended that and it, it cleared it up um, and then some. So uh, you can take larger dosages than what is typically recommended. And most, the, the most common argument is that it's going to shut down your own production, which is totally untrue because you don't have a negative feedback with melatonin like you do a lot of other hormones. So there's nothing to worry about there. And then they've done studies on toxicity and the word toxic and melatonin should never even be used in the same sentence. Because if you look at all the research, like if you, t if you take my book and you go through 
and you pull up some of those articles, what you'll see is the researchers at the end on almost all of them say, there seems to be no toxicity here. We should do more research. And they see all, they state all this benefit. It seems to help everything from cancer to gut, to infection, to healing, uh, skin, uh, mental, emotional, hormone issues. I mean, you name it, it's just incredible. So with the suppository, it takes about 30 to 45 minutes before it really kicks in. So I recommend people take that, you know, a little bit before they're ready to go. We have a liposomal version, and I, you know, I don't know if there's any, any other versions um, in high-dose liposomal available besides Sandman, but that seems to kick in quicker. Um, and you can take that even like, you know, 20 minutes before you want to go to bed. Sometimes people have an effect where they wake up and they're really groggy, right? And they kind of have that melatonin hangover. You might be a slow metabolizer. You're also going to metabolize caffeine slower. So you're going to know if that's you. So you might want to take it like at dinner time because if you've got light in your eyes and you take melatonin, you're not going to get tired because that melatonin within the pineal gets activated with darkness. So you, you can be fine. And that's why 80% of the population can literally take melatonin during the day. And that's why, you know, if there's uh, more significant types of issues that we want to deal with the patients, we'll actually dose them day and night. And these people do really well during the day. So you take it um, a little bit earlier. And the other thing is when you wake up, go out and look at the sun, get sunlight in your eyes, get a photon, use a photon, you know, do something. You can get a blue light. You, they sell blue lights that, you know, if it's really rainy, you can turn the blue light on. I know Ben uses it when he travels, right? So he pulses it when he has more stress. So melatonin is the ultimate stress resilient molecule. So, I mean, how are you more under stress than when you're traveling? You know, you've got the plane, you're stressing and I'm going to make the flight, TSA, you know, you have some issues with TSA that you get snowed in, are you going to make it? (laughs) So, so, I mean, in in brief, what I'll do is uh, when I'm, when I'm at home in my own zone, I try not to be attached to much at all. And, and once I've recovered from travel, I don't really use melatonin when I'm at home, unless I've been exposed to a lot of bright light at night. Occasionally our family might, you know, watch a TV show or something in the evenings. I happen like once a month. And even though I wear blue light blocking glasses, I'll sometimes take <laughs> melatonin after that. But generally what I do is when I'm traveling and I get to where I'm going, I actually take two of the Sandman suppositories the first day when I happen to be outside of my time zone. Oh, what's that come out to? Like, uh, it's well, the Sandman's three. 200 and the Super yeah, Sandman's four. four. 400 milligrams or so. I just take it time. about 30 to 40 minutes prior to bed. And then the next night, I'll typically do that again. And then the third night, I'll typically just do like one. And then if I'm having any trouble sleeping on subsequent evenings, I'll cut that in half. When I get back home, I'll do two the first night I get back home. And then after that, the only other thing I keep on hand is some of the, the, the oral Sandman that John makes. So I'll kind of like peek it when I travel and then come down, taper off the dosage and peek it again when I travel. I mean, it works fantastically for me. And honestly, I can stop using a cold turkey and I'm fine. But it just takes me, like, my sleep latency is a little bit longer. And so I, I prefer to just use it to support travel. And then when I'm at home and I'm kind of, like, back into my normal circadian rhythmicity, I taper off it. And that's my protocol. Yeah. Well, one other way to use it, just like we talked about with the methylene blue, is if you're coming down with something or you have an infection, there's a huge body of research showing how melatonin 
basically, it, we talked about that, that mitochondrial shift, right? So the cytokine or the inflammation from an infection is going to shut down your mitochondria within your immune cells. So you're not fighting that battle as robustly as you could. So what supplementing with melatonin has shown to do is to turn that energy from the anaerobic back into the aerobic glycolysis within the mitochondria. And you get like this 90% boost back with your immune. So anytime you have uh, an infection might be a, a, a great time to look at doing higher doses of melatonin. So we're talking about extra pineal, right? This conversation is, is not necessarily just for circadian rhythm. Smaller doses might be fine for that. They haven't like done research on really looking at like the full spectrum of dosing and how it might relate to circadian rhythm versus this, all these phenomenon that we're talking about with extra pineal melatonin. But uh, it is something that could be safe to do long-term. Um, I've probably been taking very high doses of melatonin for four or five years now. And I can stop taking it for a few days or a week and I feel fine. My aura ring scores are still high. I don't fall off a cliff. So um, I can tell you personally, I've, I've been my own guinea pig and uh, the research seems to support the conclusion. Yeah, thank, thank you all for this. We're, we've got, we're out of time for this session. More than ever these days, people like you and me need a fresh, entertaining, well-informed, and often outside-the-box approach to discovering the health and happiness and hope that we all crave. So I hope I've been able to do that for you on this episode today. And if you liked it, or if you love what I'm up to, then please leave me a review on your preferred podcast listening channel, wherever that might be. And just find the Ben Greenfield Life episode. Say something nice. Thanks so much. It means a lot.